and uh, welcome to episode one of the Cloud Consulting Journal. I'm your host, John Gorup, and with me is someone, when I started this project, I thought, who would I first want to talk to? And there's nobody I would want to talk to more than Genevieve Aragon, who I call Evie. Um, I just want to say, Evie, that uh, not only do I consider you a friend, but I think of you as one of the bravest people I know. And uh, the way you live your life, the way you you, you tackle things, um, you've been an inspiration to me. And um, I just want to welcome you. Oh, thank you, John. I am I am truly honored and touched. I I am so excited for you to to start this podcast, this uh, this series of interviews. I yes. consider you to be. Uh, one of the most important people I have ever met in my professional career. I, I call you a friend. I brag about my relationship with you because you are so incredibly cool. Uh, wow. I mean, seriously, you have a high bar for the audience. They're gonna they're gonna have to okay learn learn who is John Gorup throughout this. Well, now that we're done praising each other, now we have more praise. Your dog is adorable. This, this is Mr. Mochi. He's a, I don't know. He is a dog. Let's just say that. Right, he's I mean, got issues like everybody, um, but he he's uh, he likes to be on my lap. So, um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, I've known you for a while, but I don't really know. How did you get into consulting in the first place? It, uh, like many things, it really was a series of just remarkable coincidences. Um, at post-college, I was uh, doing uh, web development uh, for a human services agency. I was you know, building their website, their learning management system, their content management system, all that fun things. Uh, and I was freelance consulting for just added money because, you know, post-college, everyone needs it. Um, and so through that process, I was playing around with, among other things, Google gadgets. When Google first rolled out this new technology, right. it was really exciting. Like, ah, oh, you can fit these little gadgets into these Google apps or embed them in web pages. Think about all you could do with Google gadgets. <laughs> uh, and I was at a, uh, a social event where a friend I had known from high school who I hadn't interacted with in you know, a decade, uh, he and I struck up a conversation. It turned out that we had a lot in common, including our interest in, among other things, Google. Hmm. And he told me about this company that he recently started working for that I would probably love. Uh, and it was Aperio. Okay. Uh, Aperio, uh, for those who aren't familiar, is a consulting firm that at the time specialized in Google and Salesforce. Uh, and we'll likely talk more about that. But uh, my friend uh, whose name, uh, I don't know if we want to name names, so I'm going to keep it pronouny. I know who you're talking about, but yeah. Yes. Um, just in the interest of everyone else's anonymity. Rhode Island's uh, a small state. If this was in Rhode Island, so it wasn't me, therefore it was the other person. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> the other Google uh, gadget enthusiast in Rhode Island. Um, but uh, I got recruited uh, into Aperio, and uh, I believe for a long time I had the record for the longest interview process. 
Um, but I eventually got hired uh, and I was hired into the Google practice. Uh, about a year later, uh, I uh, started doing some Salesforce projects. Uh, it was, at the time, Aperio was very divided between Google and Salesforce, and there really wasn't anyone who could speak the two languages. So I thought that I would try to bridge that gap. I reached out to my manager in HR and be like, can you find me a project, a small project? And they were like, oh, I found this perfect project. It's like 10 weeks, large team, lots of custom dev, uh, wonderful introduction to Salesforce. And then two years later, I rolled off that project and have been on the Salesforce platform ever since. Amazing. Uh, that is also the project where John and I met. There you go. Well, I remember those days in a, a period which you know became a big Salesforce firm. It wasn't clear that it was a Salesforce company. It was cloud, and it was basically half Google, half Salesforce, right? And and, and that was an interesting time. Um, yeah, it's uh, the the practices were very different, but um. Yeah, um just to kind of more completely answer the question of how I got into consulting. Yes. Consulting gave me the opportunity, especially at that time with that firm, to play with the brand new tech. Yes. And that was really exciting. And that that was what drew me in more than anything else. I was doing really cool, complex work in my uh, job beforehand, mm-hmm. but being able to to really be among the first people to use technology, that... Yeah that really hooked me at the time to get me into it. So. Right. And what did you like about consulting rather than working? I guess, well, did you ever work for a firm, like for a company yeah. in technology? Okay. So the, the thing that consulting really gave me was variety of problems. And for anyone who has either done consulting and been on a project for a ridiculously long time, or uh, hasn't done consulting, but has just sort of been the owner of a product for a really long time. There's the initial spike of excitement of it's it's new, there are new challenges to solve. And then eventually you kind of get into a maintenance phase where even if you are doing cool things, the the lifespan of software is that the most of it is, is maintenance. Right. And so... Um, what consulting allowed you to do was sort of stay in that adrenaline high of that first exciting part of consulting. Uh, and I, I love problem solving. And so consulting is literally just jumping from one problem to another, um, you know, completely different technology challenges, often uh, different personality challenges. And I, I love that. I love that variety that you can do. Well said. I think I found the same thing. And consulting does attract people with a lot of problems. So, um, so I remember your time at Aperio. the The firm mar- marched on, and it was acquired. And then the next thing I know, you were on a motorcycle across the country. And then the next thing I know, you started uh, Escapist Reality. So, um, somewhere in there. I think you made a decision to create your own firm. Um, tell me where you got the idea and how it came about. When when I joined Aperio, I was what late twenties, you know, mid to late twenties. I thought you were sixteen 30s. years old. I 
I was at that wonderfully influential, uh, influential part of your life where you're just, you're looking for that forever home. Yeah. Um, I really thought Aperio was going to be it. I was excited to be one of those people who had been with Aperio from the beginning and, you know, retiring and being like, ah, I remember my days. And the start of the company, when it, I joined when it was around 100 people, a little over, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it truly was, at least from my perception, per, perception at the time, kind of what I could all hope for. The company's desire to grow, though, and when I left, it was 2,000-plus people, I don't know, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as it grew, it w- was not growing in the shape of what I wanted the company to be. And as it grew, I continued to feel more and more powerless to affect the change that I wanted to see. Um, And the things that I valued and the principles that I held were more and more not reflected in the decisions that were right, perhaps for the leadership team, but they weren't right for me. Um, and so it was really hard because you you effectively fall out of love with this institution that I devoted a substantial amount of my formulative you know adult years. Uh, but at some point, it was no longer the the company that I could see myself being at in perpetuity. Right. When the buyout happened, mm-hmm. that was with Wipro with Wipro. Um, <clears throat> among other things, it was, uh, the Aperio was never going to be sold. That was one of the early mantras of leadership. We were going to have an IPO. Uh, um, we were never going to be sold. That isn't the thing that crushed, you know, my, my opinion of the company. We, we ended up selling. Uh, but it was, among other things, the last straw of I, I, Wipro wasn't a company that I was excited to to join. Um, and uh, enough had just sort of happened to be like, this is a good time to separate. Um, I was incredibly fortunate and privileged. I had been with Aperio long enough that the buyout gave me enough of an influx of cash that it effectively gave me a year salary. Not a huge amount of money, but a year. That's pretty cool. That doesn't happen often in life. No. Um, And so with that, I now had financial freedom to try something. So I left Aperio, I think late November, early December, uh, at the first week of January, I founded Escapist Reality. Okay. Um, I wanted to wait until the start of January because then it's far easier to deal with anniversaries. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Anna, uh, Escapist Reality, at the time of this recording, is less than a month away from its fifth year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so starting the company was important for me because I, I wanted... Before I did all of the rest of the exciting things that I had planned, I wanted it to officially be under the escapist reality umbrella because otherwise it would be too easy 
for me not to have some form of just guardrails. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was, I, I, I had a major event I wanted to do, which as John mentioned, um, I wanted to do a motorcycle journey around the entire perimeter of the United States. I had been riding a motorcycle for many years. I've ridden it out from the East Coast to uh, Chicago and, and Indianapolis and things like that. But this was a far more aggressive endeavor. Um, it was 90 days, uh, 93 days, I think officially, uh, over 12,000 miles. It was life-changing. It was <clears throat> incredible. Uh, and the this, the money which I received from the buyout helped to fund that because it also wasn't inexpensive. Um, and throughout at the start of the year, before it was the weather was nice enough to, to ride, I was doing things like getting the paperwork all put in place in order to form my LLC. I was crowdsourcing my logo. I was starting all of those initial processes. And, uh, while on my road trip, on, I, I started going south, going west, north, and coming back east. In Cleveland, in a hostel in Cleveland, I was writing my first statement of work for my first customer. Uh, and when I arrived home, uh, the next day at 10 a.m., I was on site. So it was, it was a pretty wonderful way to wrap up the um, sort of... Uh, self journey of the of the road trip and then flow right into what would become the start of a consulting firm with now multiple employees and mm. a likely uh lifespan of at least we made it five years you know it's likely going to make another five so yeah that's an amazing story um a couple things one is i that journey of Apirio, um, it's an interesting thing, and I think it's common to all consulting firms, is you, if you start small and you take on venture capital money and people put money into it, you're compelled to grow, right? And it's mm-hmm. and I'm a business person, and, and I believe in growth, and you want to grow. And it's just that the personality that can run a 100-person firm is not the same personality that can run a 2,000-person firm. Um, it, it's just a different thing right you just need more formality you need more rigidness and i think the personality of the consultants has to change you know and and uh and for me i'm a little bit more comfortable than i think you were at a 2000 person firm uh, obviously i stayed a bit longer um and it's it, it's interesting you always see firms try to say i'm going to maintain our culture that we had when it was like four guys in Starbucks. <laughs> now that we're, we've got an office in London, Tokyo and you know, <laughs> whatever. Right. And uh, it, it just, it's impossible to do. Right. And it, it's, um, you can't maintain that culture. Right. And for some people that's okay. Right. And for you, it, it wasn't right. And that's, I think that's fine. And also with Wipro, it's just like, um, I stayed with Wipro for a while and you know, Wipro, does what they do well they've been around you talk about five years they've been around for what like 90 or something they started selling vegetable oil and uh they brought some things that that apirio 
was never able to do. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I'm no longer there. I'm at a small firm now, um, but that's what it is. Um, which I mentioned culture and obviously culture is something important to you. What is the culture of escapist reality? It is incredibly supportive. Um, you know, my, my approach with escapist reality is one of, uh, I really, I really want to put my employees first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this goes from compensation and benefits, but also making time for them, making to making space for them to be able to do things, uh, in their personal as well as professional life. Um, you know, at, at the core, I'm a firm believer that if I can treat my employees well, and not just status quo, like competitive. No, like really like love your employees. Like they are, right. they are the core to the company. Um, then everything else will sort of follow. Like I'm, I'm hiring the right people. So if I can keep them right. and if I can uh, sort of avoid the attrition risk that happens, um, everything else will kind of fl fall into place. Yeah. Do you have a target customer and how do you find customers? We primarily focus on uh, medium-sized customers in the Maine, um, New England area. We are based in Portland, Maine. Um, and a lot of our customers come from uh, word of mouth, from referrals. We are very connected into the Salesforce local ecosystem. Um, some of the clients that we have, we have subcontracted with. Uh, some of them we are directly connected with. Uh, and, and our primary vertical tends to fall into the uh, healthcare space. Okay. Which I happen to like. I. I really enjoy with every with every project with every client there are there are positive things to be found whether you are focused entirely just on the complexity of the project or or what have you but I do like I do prefer I do idealize the client that you feel really good about helping succeed right like right um and uh, uh, many of the clients that we have um well, never for all of the clients that we have, but particularly in the healthcare space, it feels good to be able to help enable these customers to make life easier and better for their customers. And I got you. That just feels good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, being from Portland, Maine, I thought you'd say it'd be the craft brewing industry is your, is your target customer, but no. It, uh, remarkably not that high demand for the small micro brews to have a significant Salesforce CRM. There you go. There you go. So, uh, I mean, so when I was praising you at the beginning of this, I was saying how I find you very brave, right? And part of that is you're driving your motorcycle around the country by yourself. It, it takes bravery, right? And starting your own company takes Bravery. What what was scarier, driving around the country or or starting your own firm? Um, 
complex question. I'm going to add a third option, then I'll come back okay. to why it's complex. Okay. Um, the scariest thing was hiring my first employee. Okay. Because <laughs> Did you know from the beginning you'd do that? Or were you thinking this was going to be a solo thing? Or when did you decide? So one of the one of the wonderful things about the space that we are working in right now in the Salesforce space is that there is virtually no risk to starting your own company. The demand for talent is so great that if your company falls, you can get hired the next day, basically. Like they need people so much. And so starting my own company in the Salesforce space, um, and incidentally, when I started Escapist, the umbrella of things I wanted to do was hilariously large. We've, We've focused because, you, you focused. know, yeah, you kind of have to, um, but starting the own co- my own company wasn't scary in that if it didn't work out, I learn a whole lot of new things throughout the journey. And then I just get another job at another consulting firm. I just wasn't too tim- intimidated by that. Okay. Um, the motorcycle journey itself um, it it was interesting in that I wasn't scared about being alone. I have done multiple day journeys uh, on my motorcycle solo before. <laughs> there were areas that I was more concerned about being in. Um. And I had, I had a mind, I mean, truthfully, I had the mindset of, I will likely be at least verbally assaulted, if not physically assaulted mm-hmm. on this journey. And quite frankly, someone might kill me. Right. Um, Which rarely happens in consulting. Only once or twice. Okay. Um, rarely happens. And, um, for those who perhaps don't know more about me, uh, as a uh, out and open transgender woman uh, traveling through particularly uh, uh, anti-trans areas, that was that was something that I was aware I was doing, and I was prepared for worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. What I can, what I can say from my own personal experience there was never a point on the entire journey where anything like that happened. I, I was overwhelmed by, by just how many people were either simply friendly or apathetic. And I feel strongly that the majority of people really are either good or apathetic. Mm. And I luckily didn't interact with any of those who are more to the other extreme. Mm. Um, so, so I, I had a very going into the wild mindset right. um, on that. But when it became time to hire my first employee, yes, it wasn't just me. Now I'm single. I have a cat, but I felt comfortable. My cat could be taken care of if something happened to me. But once. <laughs> Once I started to take on employees, it wasn't just about me. Like if yeah. the company fell apart, now I had uh, my employees and their significant other and their children and their cats 
and what happens on that. And that was the scariest part of that <clears throat> journey up to that point was now I'm responsible for many people. Now it's real. Like it's, it's right. almost play when you are a solo consultant in your own <clears throat> firm. It's make believe. Which makes me empathetic for a CEO of like a 2000 person firm who's not a psychopath, who does have empathy, thinking, <laughs> um, you know, if I do something that this firm falls apart, there's 2000 people with mortgages and children and healthcare issues. And, um, you know, we don't often hear sympathy for CEOs in our society, but perhaps there's a reason why they're so high paid, right? There, it is a lot of pressure and you want someone who, uh, who cares, but also is wise. Right. And the flip side of that is also, you know, we, we often criticize the manager approach of managing by spreadsheet, but you know, if you are really close and empathetic with all of these people and you're making these decisions, maybe, maybe that, maybe we're training our psychopaths uh, in leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's uh, that degree of detachment comes out of survival skill, not because yeah. of, you know, how, how do they not realize that what they are doing is, is bad? Um, right. Well, I mean, you can see how a psychopath would get into business, right? And would actually succeed, right? And, um, but wouldn't succeed in your business in, in, in escapist reality, right? And that your business kind of relies on empathy. And, yeah. We, uh, uh, that's part of the business model. Absolutely. I mean, I, I call escapist reality the grand experiment. I mean, it is... It, in so many ways, it's the anti-consulting company. It is, it is everything that, it's not everything, but many of the decisions that are commonplace in how you approach um, having a firm, having compensation, having, you know, everything. I, I've, I've sort of flipped those. Uh, so my contracts explicitly, um, for instance, state that no employee will work more than 40 hours without a week without written approval by myself and the client. Mm. Uh, I don't want any of these death marches. Like I know how much margin I get if I can have an employee work 50, 60 hours a week. That's, that's all profit for me. Right. But it comes at a cost. It comes of, it comes out of the cost of burnout. It comes out of the cost of the quality of life of my employees. Um, and so I, I'm very protective of that. Yeah. Um, one of the, the, uh, uh, aspects of the company I'm, I'm really proud of is, you know, all companies tend to talk about how much they encourage continuing education because it's a wonderful talking point, but from my experience and from what I've seen at a lot of other places, it's kind of do it on your own time. Hmm. Um, so one of the things that I've tried to do is make space for the employees to have continuing education baked into their schedule. Uh, Escapist Reality's compensation model, there is a, a, a base salary, 
but each employee does get a percentage of um, their billable work. So there's a billable incentive bonus. There's a really fun compensation plan on that. Um, but what that means is that if you are doing your continuing education instead of doing work, well, then you're not getting that extra compensation. So what we have is uh, the uh, what we call the NICE bonus. It is a nominal incentive for continuing education. Uh, and so the hours that you spend doing continuing education you get an added bonus for. And as I've told my employees, I would rather you work less billable hours and make time for continuing education because in the long run, that is going to dramatically pay off for all of us. And I, I take a very long-term approach to a lot of the decisions that I make at Escapist. I see why you think retention is one of the most important things, right? And, and you're putting your investment there. so. Um, that's really, it's really nice. See what I did there? I see what um, you did there. Nice. Yeah. Um, one last question. What advice would you have given yourself today, five years from now? I don't know if I worded that right. If you had a time machine and could go back five years and talk to Genevieve of five years ago, what would you tell yourself? Um, strictly business related. <laughs> Um, business related, right? I always uh, think of a gambling thing, like you know, bet on the White Sox or something. But no, yeah. um, you know, it's what I would do for for young Genevieve is mm-hmm. advise her to get an accountant on day one. Um, so without too much of a humble brag, there is a lot of things I am good at. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in the accounting side of things. Okay. Um, and so as a startup, you, you do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, year two, year three, when I finally uh, did convince myself to get an accountant, among the first things we had to do was refile a whole lot of paperwork and get it right. <laughs> uh, and that was, that was just a massive headache. Um, there, uh, we, uh, I used LegalZoom to set up all that initial paperwork. It, it worked. It got me started. It got me what I needed. Um, but I think it is, I think it's important to recognize some of the things that are most obnoxious and important, like your legal entity paperwork, like your corporate taxes, um, it's not unreasonable that that is outside of your skill set and your interests, and it's worth the the investment. Um, I love my accountants that I have now; they make my life so much easier. I need a uh, so I am very happy to have engaged that. I would have encouraged myself, younger self, to engage them earlier. There you go. Engaging in accountants. We can't end on that, right? It has to be more interesting. So, so let, um, let me do something more interesting for those who may not think about this. Yes. When I started Escapist Reality, I had the, the concept of the company, but I didn't have a logo. Okay. So as someone with a background in crowdsourcing, among other things, I went, I went to the crowdsourcing platform. So I went to 99design and put mm-hmm. out what I want. I wanted a logo. And 
I had this vision of what it could be. And I had these descriptions and the logo that I ended up selecting was something I hadn't even ever considered when it was submitted. And we had to do a few rounds uh, of modifications on it, but it was something I hadn't considered and just instantly fell in love with and was ultimately the winner of the crowdsourcing competition. Uh, And I would say for those of you who, who don't necessarily have a specific, especially when it comes to art and design uh, image in mind, leveraging those crowdsourcing platforms, the vast amount of creativity and the quantity of creativity from completely diverging perspectives gives you so many options and it's wonderful. So there you go. Well, that is wonderful. What has been your favorite part of this interview? Getting time to hang out. We, uh, we only get to do it a few times a year, it seems. So I know, especially with COVID, right? Yeah, that's, that's been kind of obnoxious. Uh, this was the first year or the, with COVID was the first time in a long time. I haven't done things like Dreamforce and, uh, normally John and I at least get to meet up out in, uh, San Francisco, grab some coffee. At Blue uh, Blue Bottle, right? That's where we usually meet. I love Blue Bottle. I mean, I hope they did well during the pandemic. Uh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. I feel like if I don't go there, no one else is going. So, Which is <laughs> 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 kind of an egocentric way of looking at life. but Right. Uh, if it's not in my immediate right. perception. Solve system, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember my wife thought that McDonald's was going out of business because we never eat there. I'm like... <laughs> I think they're doing all right. (laughs) I think they survived. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Likewise, John. I wish you the best of luck with this uh, podcast. uh, We'll call it a project. We'll call it a project with this project. uh, And I look forward to further interviews.